Hey, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention uh, and watching to what's been going on, but there are a lot of people doing some amazing things in our world right now, right? Last week, there was a guy that went out into outer space in his own rocket. And we have movies about, we've had cartoons about that forever, but we had a guy do, in two days, there's another guy going into outer space in his own rocket. I mean, they like got their own rockets going on. It's not even a government deal. In, in five days, we have these athletes gathering from all over the world, and they are going to be competing. And if you've ever seen them compete, you know they are competing at a level that is just incredible, amazing, especially in the context of world history. What they do is just astounding. And it's interesting to listen to some of the interviews that they've had and the news stories that they've had about some of these people, whether they're going to space or whether they're competing, these people that accomplish these amazing things. They regularly will say that these accomplishments are this end result of this very focused pursuit that they have had for all of their life. In fact, they've been chasing this thing and, and looking for it, kind of trying to grab hold of it the way that sometimes if you've ever done a puzzle and you have that last piece and it's missing and you know it was there when you started and so you scour the floor, you're just focused, searching, trying to find that last piece that will complete it. And a lot of times we think about our lives that way. The question I want us to start out this morning thinking about is what is that thing maybe in your life we don't know what it was for them because they get there and they say, this is it. It's what I've always been aiming for. But what is that thing in your life that you would say, it's not part of your life yet, but you feel like this is something that you are pursuing because you feel like this would bring a certain level of kind of a sense of completion, a sense of fulfillment to your life. What is that, that thing? What is that thing that you pursue? In Mark chapter 10, Mark, book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. This is one of the everyday stories from the life of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27, we find this man who literally was chasing after Jesus, chases him down, and he wants to know, he, he's trying to get a hold of, he asks him, how can I get a hold of that, that piece, that thing that's missing in my life? And uh, it becomes obvious as we go into the story, it becomes obvious that uh, this guy already had a lot. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of power. But he still had this, this sense that there was something that he was still pursuing. And so he comes up to Jesus. If you would, if you would stand with me, and we're going to be reading the story from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27. Why do we stand? This is the word of God. As Jesus made his way out to the road again, a man came running up and got down on his knees in front of him, and he pleaded with him, good teacher, what should I do in order that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? You know that no one is good except God alone. But to answer your question, you do know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed these commands since I was a child. Looking into his face, Jesus loved him and said, one thing you lack. So go from here, take all you currently have, sell it and give to the poor. That way you will have riches in heaven and then come back and follow me. Hearing this, the man became very somber, sober, somber, went away grieved for he had many possessions. 
Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God for those who have so many resources. The disciples were shocked by what he said. Jesus went on, children, it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now they were even more shocked, and they asked, then who can be saved? Looking into their faces, Jesus said, with people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So what is the thing that you chase after? What is that thing that you pursue? Second question to think about as we listen to this story, we think about this story. Would the answer to your question, that thing that you pursue, that thing that you think would complete your life, would the answer that you give be the same answer that God would give? What is that thing that would complete your life? Today's message is entitled, A Perfect Post, A Story of Pursuit. Father, we want to ask that you would be here this morning and that you would be speaking to us. It doesn't matter what I have to say. It does always matter what you have to say. So, Father, in this moment, we give you space. We give you our attention. We give you the the ears, not just of our, our physical ears, but the ears of our heart, the ears of our mind. We ask that you would Show us something that we haven't thought of, we haven't thought about. Show us, give us insight into what are those things that keep us from actually attaining, grabbing hold of that life that you say you have offered us as a gift. Help us to see those things, see them clearly and not to have the courage, to have that, again, that gift of the courage to actually grab hold of that life, to let go of things that may be dear to us, but that really stand in the way sometimes of the thing that we actually are chasing after. So Father, speak to us this morning from your word. We pray that your spirit would fill this place and just make your presence known to us. We pray these things for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. So another, uh, another amazing thing happened this, uh, this week. Um, on Thursday afternoon, Pastor Cheryl and I uh, were invited, along with several other pastors in the area, we were invited by the chaplain corps that's over at Camp Fogarty. That's the National Guard uh, camp that's over there. And we were invited to join them for lunch, to hear a little bit about what they do, uh, to hear a little bit about the National Guard, of course, and then take a ride in a Black Hawk helicopter. And so... We, uh, you know, who's not, who's going to turn that one down, right? There, there are some things I think that we, we don't even bother putting on our list of things that are missing from our life because we can't, you know, looking forward, we're like, there's no way that will ever happen. So why would I put that on my list, right? Well, that was one of them for me, you know, but Thursday afternoon, here we are and Cheryl and I find ourselves being strapped into, get this. So the two seats on the outside of this helicopter, right, right next to those open doors, that are going to stay open the whole time, right? And we're getting strapped into this thing, and, and then they, they took off. Uh, we flew over Wickford. We flew down along the bridges over the bay, over Newport. We almost, you know, almost all the way to Tiverton, turned around, came back the same way. It took about 20 minutes. But what I found was that whole time I'm in this, I mean, the experience of a lifetime, right? I mean, something I never expected, never was even looking for, but here I am in the middle of it, and I kept having to tell myself, 
look out that door and look at that scenery. And, and some of you guys might be thinking, why, were you scared? No, I wasn't scared. It was just I, was, I constantly had my phone up. Right? And I'm seeing everything through my phone because I'm trying to take pictures. Oh, I got to show them this one, right? I am constantly taking videos. Oh, I got to make sure people know for sure that this happened in my life. Why? Because we live in a day when our lives are made, made known or like validated through our posts, through our pictures, through social media. How do you know somebody did something? Because they have it up online, right? I can prove I did that thing. Here it is. And so I find myself actually almost, you know, not enjoying the experience because of trying to get the the proof of the experience itself. And we find that when we're looking through these these posts, a lot of times we'll come across these people that have this whole stream of experiences, right? This whole string of these perfect pictures. And and we look at those and and there are these, these sunsets and these meals and these adventures and these times with friends. And we're going, how in the world? Does somebody fit all that into one lifetime? And this person is only 20-something years old, right? How did they fit that into just a short amount of time? Or else we might look at it and we just look at it and we go, I got to get a life, right? <laughs> I got I to get out more because I'm just not, you know, I watched a news story the other day and it was, it was uh, following some of those people that are called influencers, you know, online. They're the ones that, and it it was a specific type. It was the ones who are actually gathering their followers by posting these perfect pictures of these experiences that they've had. And what this uh, story got into was actually it takes a long time to get that perfect shot. You know, so sometimes these people, you know, that shot where they're sitting in the bathtub with the, the glass of wine, you know, or, or the jacuzzi and the, the doors open behind them and the pool, you know, spreading out. And then there's this lush green and then there's a, the, the sunset over the Pacific Ocean behind them. Right. And they take this selfie. And, shh, shh, yeah, this just happened to me. Right. But actually, sometimes it takes days to get that shot. Sometimes they're sitting in that hot tub and they're turning into a prune and their wine's going sour as they're waiting for the shot just so they can go, this just happened to me. And everybody can be jealous, right? Because sometimes those things, sometimes it takes so long, in fact, that they'll spend so much time getting the shot set up that they actually don't experience the event at all. Kind of ironic, isn't it? To make people jealous or make it appear that we have a life that's worth being jealous about, we almost have to do so much that we can't, we can't live it at all. But that's the world we live in, right? That's, that's the way we do things. Those are, the, those are the shots we're going for. Those are the posts we're trying to make. Those are the um, impressions we're trying to make. And those also have become the things that we chase. Those events that we chase and we say, if I just had this, then my life would be complete. Jesus is on his way back. And I think the setting is important for us to understand about where Jesus is in Mark chapter 10, because it says he's on his way back to the road. Which road? The road that leads to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, why? Because he's going to get to the completion of his life. To that point, that apex that he said, this is what I came for. And what is that? He's going to die the death of a criminal, a cruel, horrible death on a cross, that's where he's headed right now. Not a very good post, right? 
That's not somebody, any, anything that any of us would put up on our, on our wall and say, hey, this is, you know, this is what I got to do today. That's where Jesus is intentionally headed. And as he's going, this man comes running up and, he's, and, and, and he falls down on his knee and it says he pleads with him. He has to find out, where can I find this thing? And did you catch the question that he asked? He says, good teacher, what should I do that I might gain this life that you're talking about, this eternal life. Now, sometimes when people talk about eternal life, they act as if, they talk as if it's about the duration of that life, right? It's eternal. It goes on forever. And and God has invited us into uh, eternity with him, into this duration of life. But the best thing about God's eternal life is not the, the length of it, not the quantity of it, it's the quality of it. His life is eternal because it's a life that we don't find on this earth. We don't find within the bounds of this time and space. It's a life that doesn't exist in this broken world unless it's brought in from the outside, as it was by Jesus, as it is when the Holy Spirit is poured out within our lives and God comes and he he actually lives within us with a life that is unlike any life uh, that is even available on this earth. So this man... What he's really pursuing, whether he knows it or not, he's pursuing this life. He's pursuing this quality of life that I think all of us are chasing. All of us are chasing, whether it's through post or whether it's just through experiences or whether it's through investing ourselves in our career to, to find meaning in what we do, whether it's in investing in a family and relationships or friends, we are all pursuing this quality of life that this man was chasing after, this quality of life that sometimes we feel we get like a glimpse of or a taste of in a certain, in a certain occasion, a certain experience. It's the quality of life that some people try and give the illusion you know, through these perfect posts that they put up that is happening all the time for them. But even as we're looking at that, you know, we're, you know, you look at those posts, you look at those strings, you're going, you know, that's just not, I'm pretty sure that's not even possible. It's good to hear the backstory about turning to a prune in this, in this, you know, in this hot tub with a spoiling glass of wine. It's good to hear that because it just doesn't seem like life usually works that way. And it, it seems like it's pretty consistent. And the reality is this, and I want you to hear this reality because no matter how we do this, but perfect posts, often they just mask. They just cover this very, um, the, the emptiness that comes from this kind of relentless but, but endless pursuit of a life that we're very afraid that we might never be able to grab hold of that quality of life that this man was chasing. So he comes up to Jesus and he says, you know, I've been watching you. I think, I believe that you know where I can find that peace that's missing. That peace that would complete this life, that would make my life complete. Now, Jesus answers him. And this is uh, what is important because um, I think Jesus answers us the same way as he did this guy. And he answers in, in, in three parts. And the first part's kind of funny because you read it and you go, why did he bother saying that? But he says, um, he turns to the guy and he says, why'd you call me good? Because we all know that God is the only one who's truly good. Now, you go, why, do you, why did he say that? You notice that later the guy doesn't bother coming back and calling him good again. He just calls him teacher. <laughs> Did you guys catch that part? He called him good teacher, and then Jesus says that. He goes, oh, okay, well, 
a teacher then? Right. Like he's, he, he kind of was taken off guard by that response, by that response that Jesus made. Usually when we do something, when we come up to God or to anybody else and we start, we kind of butter them up a little bit so that they'll, they'll respond better. Maybe they'll be more willing to give us what we're looking for. You know, have you guys ever done that when you pray? You know, you, you talk to God, you go, dear God, you're, you're such an awesome God and, and you're so great and, and you love me so much. And I know because you love me that you probably would really want to do the thing that would make me most happy. So could you give me this thing I want? You know, right? It's kind of like kids do with their parents, right? I know um, I've been really good because of how much I love you, because you're so great. And so could you maybe do this thing the way, could we do it my way instead of your way this time? Right? But Jesus cuts through that, doesn't he? And he does that every time. He cuts through all that, that kind of fluff and that flattery that we throw at him. He cuts through that. Instead, he zeroes in. We, we think that we're going to maybe come out of this you know, with the thing we're looking for, but instead he starts zeroing in on that one thing that really is standing in the way of this guy finding what he's really looking for. He starts zeroing in on this guy's life. But in that first part of his answer, what he does is he says, he's essentially saying to him, you know what? You've come to the right person to get the answer to the question that you're asking. But I want you to, I want you to realize who it is you've come to. Why did you call me good? Only God is good. Right? Now, does he mean I'm not God? No, he means you got that part right. But take it seriously then, because I'm going to give an answer. And are you going to take it as an answer that came from God? Are you going to take it with the seriousness of, what you've, of who you've said I am? Are you going to take seriously who this person is that you are dealing with? When we go to God and we ask him for help, we ask him for wisdom, we ask him for insight, do we take seriously who it is that we're dealing with? This is the God of the universe who formed us, who knows us, who loves us more, who is more concerned about our well-being than we're even concerned about our well-being. Because the answer to that question, the first part of this, this, this answer that Jesus gives, he raises the question to this man of whether he trusts the consistency of the character of Jesus himself. And that trust is going to determine for him how well he's going to receive that answer, right? The same way as that when we pray, I want you to think about, do you trust that God is really good? Because if we don't trust that God is good, we probably aren't going to get much further in this question-answer kind of conversation that we're having with them. If we don't trust that the answer that he gives is good, then we probably will have a hard time accepting anything that he tells us, right? Second part of the answer, Jesus goes on. He says, but in relation to the question that you asked me, and then he reminds this guy of stuff he already knew. Right? He said, you already know the commandments. You know, it says, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't, you know, he rattles these off and he says, you know, these commandments. You know, sometimes when we go to God, much of what God, he's already told us the things that we need so much. I mean, 90% of what we need to know about how to kind of grab hold of the life that he intended for us, 
He's already told us. He's given it to us in, in his word. He's told us this. But there are so many times that we go, when we go to God and we say, you know what? I'm not sure that's for my best. We almost act as if God, the reason he told us to do or to not do things is because he just wants to ruin our lives. He just wants us to be miserable, right? And so then we bounce back and forth because we're, we're trying to decide. We're, we're, we bounce back and forth between this belief that God is actually for us and he wants our best and this belief that, no, he's just a sadistic guy in heaven that just wants us to have a terrible time on earth. And we bounce back and we never end up kind of landing on his answer because we're not sure that he is good. We're not sure that what he has said is good. So we have questions like, God, so why, why in the world would you ever ask me to take a day like a Sunday, right? A Sunday and actually go and do what you guys are doing, do what you guys are doing online, take a Sunday and take time out and be with God's people. Why would you do that? Don't you understand we live in Rhode Island and this is the summertime? Right? Don't you care about that? Is he for us or is he trying to make our life miserable? God, why, why would you not want me to have a sexual relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage? Are you trying to ruin my life? Because a lot of people, they look at that and they say, how am I supposed to have a meaningful relationship and follow the things that God has said? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And it takes trusting that God is saying, you know what? I haven't told you these things to ruin your life. I've told you these things so that you might be able to grab hold of the life as I have meant it to be, the best that I have for you. God, why would you be concerned with what I eat, what I say, how I talk, the language that I use? Why would you be concerned about how I use my money, where I invest my stuff, how I use my time, who I hang out with? Why would you be concerned with all that? Are you trying to ruin my life? Right? Jesus said, you know what God has already said. Right? And many of us know what God has already said. He said, why would you come back and ask me for more instructions when you're probably going to have as tough a time with those instructions as you've had with the instructions you've already heard? Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. I, I feel like sometimes I say this stuff and I've stepped on some toes here. I know I have, and I'm, I get that. You guys, I'm not doing that because I'm up here and I say, I've never done anything. No, I deal with this stuff too. God might not hit me with that thing that he's hitting you with, but he hits me with other stuff and he asked me this same question. If you can't take the stuff I've already told you, you know you're going to have a hard time with the new stuff that I'm going to tell you because I'm the same God, right? This part that Jesus talks about, he gets into the question of not just whether we trust his character, but do we trust the character and the consistency of the character of his instructions to us? Do we believe that they are good too? That's a hard one, right? Do you guys agree? <laughs> Some of you guys are looking at me like, I'm not sure. Listen, this guy in the story, he passed these. He passed this, he passed this part with flying colors. He said, yeah, I've been doing those things since I was a child. 
And you guys, at that point, Jesus looks up at him. It's, it's, it's incredible what it says. Jesus looks up at him, and it's like he saw his, it, it literally says he looks into him. So he really gazes at him, at his face, in, in his eyes, and he sees this man's sincerity, and, and it says Jesus loved him. And you guys, Jesus loves all of us. Jesus loves us when we fail. Jesus loves us when we, when we battle against him. Jesus loves us when we, when we fall on our faces again and again and again and keep coming back and saying, you know, I'm sorry again. I'm sorry, you probably don't want to hear this. Jesus loves us. But this love that he's talking about, it's almost like he was surprised. He was surprised that here's this guy. It was almost like he had been going through day after day, so many days so many people that have gotten to, got to this point in the, in the um, conversation and they didn't get any further. And he finally, he's surprised that he's found this guy that he says, yeah, I've been doing this. That he not only trusted the goodness of God, but he trusted the goodness of what, he, of what God told him so that he was actually investing his life. He was framing his life by what God had called him to be and do. And it was like Jesus was shocked he was surprised by that. We saw Jesus surprised a couple of weeks ago. But he was, and he was drawn in and it says he loved him. And that, that's really a scary part of the story. Because what that means, this guy's going to end up walking away. And what that means is it's not enough that Jesus loves us. I mean, it's enough But that's not the end of the story, that Jesus loves us. It's not enough that we follow all the rules. It's not enough that we know that God is right here and that he is good. It's not enough. There's something that's required of us. And this final part of Jesus' answer to this man, this third part, that's actually, it's the toughest part. It was the toughest part for him. I think it's the toughest part for us because this is where he zeroes in. He says, okay. Jesus turns to him and he says, there's one more thing missing. There's one more thing that you lack. And he says, you know, this is where I think the guy's probably thinking, great, because that's what I was asking for, right? The thing that's missing in my life. This is what I wanted to find out. He says, great, finally he's going to tell me. He's going to tell me how I can, you know, build my own rocket and get to the moon, right? He's going to tell me how I can finally get that ride in that Black Hawk helicopter I've always been wanting. This, this is where he's going to tell me that. He's going to tell me how to find, finally get that post that I've been chasing after all of my life that I think would complete me. But instead, Jesus kind of, he goes into huh, this deep water and he starts zeroing in on, no, I'm going to tell you about this one thing that you lack, this thing that keeps you from finding that life that God always that intended for you and intended and designed you for. And for this guy, it was his stuff. It was his stuff. He had a lot of stuff. And Jesus focuses on, now that's not always the thing. You know, for his, for his uh, first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, it was their career as fishermen. And he said, you got to let that go and you got to come follow me. It was their family. He said, you got you to kind of cut the ties and come follow me. For Matthew, it was, he was making out good as a, as a tax collector for the Roman Empire. He said, you got to let that one go. You got to come follow me. 
For this guy, it was his stuff. And he said, I want you to go. I want you to take all that you have in this world. And I want you to sell it. I want you to give it to the poor because then you will have, you won't have the kind of the fickle, you know, riches of this world. Instead, you'll have the eternal riches of heaven and then come back and follow me. Now, I think this guy would have been fine if Jesus would have said, I want you to sell all you have and build me a tower. I think he would have been good with that. I think it would have been fine if Jesus said, I want you to sell all that you have and then I want you to come and support, be one of my major sponsors and support my ministry. I think that's something, you know, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, because then, then you have this, this thing that you've done. You have this anchor in this world that you can, again, you can post it. It's there. It's there for people to see. This person has a life that was worth living. They've accomplished great things. They were one of Jesus' main, you know, supporters. And they build these towers and all this. But to take it and to give it away... To just treat it as if it meant nothing. This guy had worked hard for what he had. And to just let it loose and to give it to people he wasn't sure how they were going to use it. And then to, to give it away and away and to then follow Jesus, not ever being promised. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll make you part of my inner circle. I'll make you part of my, you know, my, my board of trustees. I'll make you part. I'll give you a position. I'll give you a name. I'll give you a title. He didn't say that. He said, just do that and then come follow me. That's hard. That's hard for people that have something to all of a sudden be asked to become nothing so that they become something in a totally different kingdom, in a different structure. So it says this man became sober, and sad, and walked away because he had a lot of stuff. You know, Jesus turned to his disciples. He said, it is hard. It is hard for those who are so well-resourced it literally says, those who are so well-resourced to make it into the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. It's hard for those who have a lot of stuff in this life to let go of that stuff so that they can grab hold of the life that God has for them. It's hard. Not just, not just any kind of hard. Hard, hard, like, hard like taking... I mean, even if they have a solid faith in the goodness of God, even if they've done what God has called them to do all their life, it's hard. Hard like uh, getting a camel or an or a, or a elephant or an aircraft carrier through the eye of a needle. That kind of hard. The kind of hard that only happens, that only God can do because God can make the impossible happen. He said, what he's saying there is it's impossible. It's impossible for you. I don't know about you, but that last part, it, it kind of, it hits too close to home. It, it's a little, it's troubling to me. And the reason is, is because um, many of us have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff. And even if we don't have a lot of stuff, all of us have something that's really hard to let go of. And that tends to be the thing that Jesus zeroes in on. He says, that's the thing that by holding on to it, your hand's not free to grab hold of the life that I have for you. And all of us have that, that thing. And because of that, Jesus is saying in this, he's saying you, are, you have to realize you are precariously close to being, I want you to hear this, impossible to save. We are impossible 
to save on our own. Because we have too much stuff. We have too much clutter. And, and that, that shocked the way that Jesus said it. It shocked, you know, it shocked the disciples because it's not about whether we believe God is good. It's not about whether we do everything he says. It's not even about whether Jesus loves us. It's whether we can let go of that thing that our hearts can actually, that our hands can actually be free enough to grab hold of, to follow Jesus and to find that life that he, he called us to. It's whether we can let go of those things that we say we possess, but that actually possess us. So the question for us at this point is, are there things, are there things in your life that even if Jesus himself came and said, I want you to walk away from that, you would have a hard time, if not an impossible time doing it? Because that's the thing that he, in this third part of the conversation, that's what he'll zero in on. That's what he'll focus on. And we look at stories like this sometimes and we say, well, I would have never walked away. Really, are we that much better than this guy? Have I been following the commands of God since I was a kid? No. <laughs> no. Have I, have I uh, would my answers to Jesus' questions, would they surprise him? So he looks up and he's shocked and he looked, probably not. No. That's why the, the disciples were shocked when Jesus said, and they turned to him and they said, well, if he can't be saved, who can be? Who can finally find that piece that's missing? You guys, when it comes to the missing piece, that, that piece that completes our life, there are two things we need to know. It doesn't matter whether it's a small thing or whether it's that big thing of finding Jesus and actually finding that piece that completes it all, or just completing a piece of it. There are two things that we need to know when we approach God. Two things. The first is this. To gain the life that God desires for us, we need to first admit the limits of our own reach and our own resources, our own understanding, our own ability, our own education, our own talents, our own competency. We need to admit the limits and that they fall short of actually grabbing hold of that life that we desire. This life is impossible to gain on our own. If God didn't bring it in from the outside, we wouldn't know about it. If God didn't make himself known as good, we wouldn't know he was good. If God hadn't given us his word, we would have never known what that life was that he had made us for and that he had designed us for and and called us to. If God hadn't shown up in the form of Jesus Christ and lived among us, we would have never known the God who is willing to come alongside and to cut through all the fluff and all the flattery and call us out on that one thing, that one thing that stands between us and that life that he has for us. We need to recognize that our, our, we have these limits and God's gift is an impossible gift. God's gift is a, and it's a complete gift to us, that gift of life that he offers. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to not only uh, admit our, the limits of our resources, our reach, we need to also recognize and to trust in the limitlessness of his. The limitlessness of his wisdom. Sometimes he says to do stuff and we don't understand it. And at that point, we need to say, I have limits. He 
He doesn't. I'll go with his ideas. Sometimes we say, how in the world is this going to help me to sell all my stuff, give it to the poor? How is that going to help me attain the life? I've worked so hard to get here. How is it going to get me to that place that I'm longing for? We say, "I, I have limits. I have limits with my resources. I have limits with my understanding, but he doesn't. I'll go with his idea. And to lean into the limitlessness of his reach and of his resources, his ability to pull something off that seems impossible. Whatever we believe that defines us or gives us a status or power, those are the things that Jesus zeroes in on. He says, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. You're gonna grab hold to the one thing that can actually save you. The one person who can actually save you. You need to let it go and come and follow me. You know, he, in another place, Jesus said, you need to become like a child because a child doesn't have an already formed identity. They kind of are forming their identity as he goes. He says, come and follow me and learn who you really are. God is not here to save us, right? To, to, so that we might kind of, um, he's not here to save us because of all that we bring to him, all that we have. He's come, he has come to save us so that we can become all that he knows that he's made us to be. So we got to let go of the one to grab hold of the other. So what is the thing that you're pursuing? What is that thing that you believe will bring completion to your life? Second question. Would God answer the question, that question, what will complete your life? Would he answer that the same way you do? Third question. If not, who are you going to trust? Whose idea are you going to go with? Who are you going to follow? Amen?